This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 26, and I'm calling this episode, How to Study the Bible. Now, in this episode, I have once again an e-guide I've put together which will summarize today's topic. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text that code word to 0488845311. So save the number in your phone right now, 0488845311, and wait for today's code word. Now, if you're joining me for the first time, the faith experiment is about putting into practice faith. So far, I've shared with you my own personal journey of how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. And over the last few episodes, we've been exploring this theme of Bible study. And on this episode, we'll be actually opening up the Bible and starting the Bible study process. So you're going to probably want to get your Bible if you want to follow along. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, you can go ahead and get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast sections for The Faith Experiment. You'll also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy to keep up to date with every single episode. So let's recap with what we've covered so far when looking at this theme of Bible study. Well, first of all, we started this journey by asking ourselves this question, what's the actual purpose of the Bible? I mean, if I already believe in God and I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, then what's the purpose of studying the Bible? And so we looked at what Jesus taught about what he says the purpose of the Bible is. And according to Jesus, he says that the Bible's purpose is to serve as a witness of who he is and what he is. And then we found that the Apostle Paul expands this explanation by delving into the process of how we actually find Christ or see Christ. And we see it through four lenses, a lens of doctrine, a lens of correction, a lens of reproof, and a lens of instruction in righteousness. And as we spend time in studying the Bible and we see Christ through these four lenses, every theme, every text, And every passage should have an ultimate goal, which is to introduce us to a transforming power that turns us into men and women of God, equipped for every good work. That's according to the Apostle Paul. And so this is our framework, our starting place with Bible study. When we open it up, no matter what we do, what passage it is, what topic, what theme, what what, uh, questions we ask, the end result, the end game will always be to transform us into men and women of God. We then explored the anatomy of the Bible, and we discovered the purpose of these two divisions, the Old and New Testament. We see how that the Old Testament points forward to the coming Messiah, and the New Testament looks back at the life and teachings of the Messiah. We also discovered the purpose of chapters and verses, and we understand how that they were given for referencing and indexing, and they shouldn't limit our study as Bible students. We also looked at the process of revelation. We have confidence that these these texts that we're studying originate in the mind of God, and then they're impressed upon the human prophet, and then the prophet uses their own words, their own culture, their own ideas to express these communications. And so we as Bible students, when we open up the Bible, we're not going to impose our 21st century thoughts and ideas and language on these prophets' words, but instead we're going to do research, we're going to dig out what these these words meant to the original author and the original audience. We also established the reason why the Bible has 66 books in our canon or scripture. And we found evidence that tells us that the 27 books of the New Testament were all chosen and placed in order in the time of the living apostles, which means that for a Bible student, we have confidence that the New Testament we have is the same New Testament that the early church had. And when it comes to the Old Testament, well, that had been established long before the time of Christ. And it's the same accurate copies that we have today make up our Old Testament. And then next on this journey of Bible study themes, we explored translations. We looked at the methods of translation. We looked at the sources of our English Bibles. And we saw that as Bible students wanting to get as close as possible to the original author's intent, we need to stick with translations coming from the majority texts, and we need to look more at the word-for-word translations when it comes to in-depth Bible study. 
And then we looked at that whirlwind tour of storytelling, and we found that all the Bible's stories make up a single grand storyline. And we identified seven unique chapters, all tied together with what I called the seven golden threads. And so now as Bible students, as we open up the Bible, we need to look for that storyline. We need to allow these golden threads to to jump out of us and to tie us to these chapters so that we know the purpose of the passages, of the text, of the themes that we're studying. And then we looked at biblical hermeneutics and the impact it's had on the Christian family of the past 2,000 years. We looked at the two methods of interpretation exegesis and eisegesis. And we saw that eisegesis is that process of biblical interpretation where we interpret the passage in a way that we put a meaning into the text. This is that situation where we try to see a passage in light of our world, in the light of what's happening to me, either how I feel or how I think about a text. And then we found that there are some clues that we can look for that can help us from going down the eisegesis route. Things like if we ask ourselves questions like, well, what do I think this text means? Or how do I feel about this text? Or what does this text mean to you? Or what does this text mean to us? When we start thinking like this, we're putting ourselves in a dangerous position because what we're basically saying is, is that the meaning of this text is determined by me, not by the author. And so we found that a good way to sort of eliminate the me from the interpretation is to ask questions like, what did this symbol mean to the original author? Or what did this idea mean to the original author? What was the original author's intent in communicating this message to the original audience? And as we ask questions like that, that's going to help remove us from the interpretation. And on the last episode, we took a look at a biblical framework for Bible study, which came from Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. We find that Ezra had a four-step approach to his encounter with the Bible. We read that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it as statutes and judgments in Israel. And so we spent some time looking at how Ezra prepared his heart or how we should prepare our heart as we approach the study of the Bible. We saw that how the preparation of the heart has more to do with our emotions and our feelings than our thoughts. And we saw that there's a strong connection between our feelings and our thoughts and Things like sleep and exercise, what we eat, what we drink, what we read, what we watch, our friends that we have, all of these things can affect the way that we feel, which in turn affects our attitude when it comes to the Bible. And we saw that there are a number of biblical examples of how people prepared to enter into the presence of God. They were expected to make preparation. We looked at Moses and how there was a need for him to remove those dead and dusty shoes off his feet before he could enter into the presence of God. We saw how that Jacob needed to remove strange gods and the jewelry from among his camp. We found that this heart preparation removes the spiritual blockages and the hindrances for entering into a deep presence of God. And this is absolutely necessary as we prepare to enter into our next stage of Bible study. And that's the actual opening and studying of passages. Well, it's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, I'll be sharing with you the, my tips on how to study the Bible. So it might be a good time to go get yourself a Bible so that you're ready after the break to open the Bible with me and study together. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's e-guide. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. Mysterious and unknown 
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode number 26 of the Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode, How to Study the Bible. And coming up on today's show is the code word to get an e-guide for today's topic. Now, before the break, I was sharing with you a summary of what we've explored so far in this theme of Bible study on the faith experiment. We've delved into the deep questions, things like what's the purpose of the Bible? How is the Bible constructed? Why is it constructed in this way? Why do we have these many books? How do we get translations? We've looked at all of these things, and now it's finally time to open up the Bible. So I hope you have your Bible there with you. We're going to explore some big picture concepts of how this Bible journey works as we open up the page and we seek to explore the meaning of these revelations from God. Now, as we get started to study the Bible, I want to start by letting you know what Bible study isn't. Bible study isn't a Google search. It isn't a Bing search or a Yahoo search or whatever search engine you use. Bible study isn't opening up the Bible and finding answers to your questions. You see, we live in a generation where we are wired for this idea that if I don't know the answer, I can go to a source, type in my question, and bang, with a click of a button or a touch of a screen, I get the answer and I can walk away satisfied and content. Studying the Bible is not like that. Studying the Bible takes time. In fact, studying the Bible is a lifelong experiment. It's exploring the deep things of God. In fact, every time you open the Bible, you can study the same passage a year after you've studied it and see something completely new, something deeper than what you saw previously. This is a living, breathing, dynamic revelation of God. And so as we approach the actual studying the Bible, this is not a, a simple formula that if you follow this, you get your answer and you can walk away satisfied. This is a process. This is a, a, a living with the text. This is a lifestyle. And so we're going to apply these principles to studying the Bible. We're going to treat this like a, a lifelong journey, a faith experiment that we're going to do daily and weekly and monthly and yearly. You see, Ezra says that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And we've already talked about how that the, the law is a transcript of God's character. And so if Ezra's prepared his heart to seek the character of God, how big and how wide and how high and how deep is the character of God? Well, obviously the answer is it's infinite. And so as we're seeking the character of God, it's going to be an infinite search. You're not going to arrive at a point where you can go, well, I'm done with studying the Bible. Every day, every moment is a, is a journey of understanding another aspect to the infinite character of God. But the Bible assures us that if we seek, we shall find. And so now as we start this process of actually opening the Bible and studying it, I want to start by framing it in this passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 28 and verse 9. The Bible says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast, 
Four, precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. You see, the Bible is giving us this idea that there are stages in our journey with God. It describes us first starting off with milk and being being transitioned from that milk into something that's deeper. And that transition comes from being more familiar with the entirety of Scripture. And we're able to understand principle here and a principle over here in Scripture and a line here and a line there. And it builds up, as the Bible says here, a message. And so this process of studying the Bible is a lifestyle. It's a lifelong faith experiment where we're seeking to understand the depths of the character of God. It's a journey of comparing Scripture with Scripture, principle with principle, line upon line. And remember, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Those four lenses, we're looking for doctrine, we're looking for correction, we're looking for reproof, and we're looking for instruction in righteousness. And so now we're up to Ezra's second stage of this Bible study journey called seeking, seeking the law of the Lord or the character of God. In Bible study terms, we call this stage observation. Now that we've prepared our hearts, we've done everything we can do in our environment to ensure that we have the right attitude, the right feelings, we've spent time in prayer, we're now opening up the passage in the presence of God. Now that we're at that point, We're ready to actually select the passage. Now, some people will ask, well, where should I start? What should be the passage I start studying the Bible with? The answer to that question, really, it's dependent on what's your purpose of studying the Bible. You see, there's different reasons why we would study the Bible. One reason might be you want to share something with someone else. Another reason might be you're trying to teach to a group or to a church or a congregation. Or maybe you simply are looking for information on a particular topic. Or perhaps you're trying to answer a question or an objection that someone has raised regarding the Bible. And lastly, perhaps the reason is is that you want to have a time of devotion in Scripture. This is a time where God speaks to you through the words into your own life for that moment. Depending what your purpose for studying the Bible is, impacts to some extent what portion or what passage of the scriptures you select to start studying with doesn't really matter because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and so all scripture is profitable. But for some, spending time in the Psalms is more of a devotional experience than, say, spending in the book of Leviticus. But having said that, I've journeyed in a devotional style all the way through the entire scripture and I found it to be very rewarding. But the first stage in the observation step is to select a passage. Now, in the second half of this episode, we're going to actually go through all of these steps in a real-world example of studying a passage of Scripture. So stick around for that. And make sure you have your Bible ready as you'll be able to join in. Once we have our passage selected, the next step is to find the extent of the passage's context. Where is the start and the end of the thought that we're studying? This is essential to know because it greatly impacts our understanding in the next stage of Bible study, which is the interpretation stage. Now, you can think of context this way. Imagine there are some blind men in a room with a great animal, and they're asked to feel the animal and to explain what they think that animal looks like. And so the first blind man, he comes and he he's stroking this animal. He says, oh, wow, this animal is so rough. Its texture is so uh, thick and there's, there's like hair brushes sticking through the surface of this animal. It's like a great wide wall. It's like a flat moving wall of hair and toughness. The second blind man says, what are you talking about? That's not what this animal looks like. This animal looks like a jungle vine with friskiness that moves back and forward, but has a furry whip on the end of its branch. Then a third blind man chimes in and says, what are you guys talking about? This animal is like a spear. It's soft. It's sharp. It's strong. And yet a fourth blind man says, you guys have got it all wrong. This animal is like a moving tree that has wet, soft, 
playful fingers. These four blind men, they all argued that what they were experiencing of the context of this creature was the true and complete picture. But the problem is, is that as you probably picked up, is that each of these blind men were touching only one part of the overall animal. The animal is an elephant, obviously. One was touching the side of the elephant, describing it as a great wall. Another was touching the tail, thinking it was like a vine. Another one was touching the trunk, thinking it was some sort of naughty tree. And a fourth one was touching the tusks, describing it as a sharp spear. Now, each one of those blind men in their own sphere had a correct view of that particular portion of the elephant, but it took the entire picture of the elephant all of the perspectives to get the complete picture. And so understanding the extent of a passage is absolutely essential when studying the Bible. Now, the way we do this, practically speaking in the Bible, is the first and easiest is to look for the paragraph markers. We talked about how in some Bible print editions, they have various ways of showing paragraphs in our English Bibles. Sometimes it's a capitalization of the first word of a verse. Sometimes it's a paragraph marker at the start of a verse. And sometimes it's just a indentation. But whatever it is, sometimes paragraph markers in Bibles will help us establish here is a thought, because after all, a paragraph represents a thought. But many times publishers don't actually translate into our Bibles these paragraph markers, and so we're left using another method to find the extent. And this is the method which I like to refer to as keywords. And we look for the keywords at the start and at the end of verses. For example, if a verse starts with the word and, then you can be sure that you need to go to the previous verse to add that to the current context. If you find a verse starts with but, if we find a word like therefore or if, any of these words that imply that there's something that's already been said that's going to impact our understanding on what's coming, this would mean that we haven't found the extent of our context yet. So we can use these keywords to establish the beginning and the end of the passage that we're going to study. And remember, don't limit your study to a verse or to a chapter, because we've seen already that these verse divisions were added hundreds of years after the author's first wrote their messages for the purpose of indexing and referencing. So now that we've got our passage, now that we've found the extent of our passage, now what we want to do is we want to read our passage, I suggest, between five to seven times. Now, you might say, what? Five to seven times? What if my passage is five to six verses? Well, then you read those five to six verses five to seven times. Now, the reason for reading the passage five to seven times, or as many times as you want, there's no real number to this. This is just out of experience. For me, about five to seven times is what I need. For some of you, it might be more. Some of you might be less. But the reason for this is to help with a little thing called comprehension. You see, we need to comprehend what is the thought in this paragraph of this passage that we're studying. Did you know that a few years ago there was a study done in Australia that suggested that the average reading comprehension level for Australian adults is just 60%. Now, what does that mean? That means that for every 100 words you read, you only comprehend about 60 of them. That means that the other 40 words just slip straight through your brain. So reading and rereading and rereading a passage is the first tool you have in your toolbox that can help improve your comprehension of the thought. Because after all, if you read a hundred words of the scriptures, you probably want to know what the hundred words mean instead of, oh, well, I've missed 40 of them. I'll just worry about the 60% that I've got. So reading and rereading, this is one of our tools that we can use to help improve our understanding of the text. So now we've selected our passage. Now we've found the extent of our passage. Now we've read our passage a number of times. We now enter into a step that I like to call the questioning step. Now, the only way we learn in life is to either watch someone do something or to ask questions of someone that will give us information. Now, obviously, we can't watch these prophets, but we can ask these prophets questions. Now, there are two types of questions. There are closed questions and open questions. Some examples of closed questions might be, is it raining? The question starts with the word is. 
The reason it's closed is because it only allows two answers. We know what the outcome is going to possibly be. It'll either be yes or no. Another one would be does. Does Mary have a hat? Yes or no. Do. Do you like your food? Yes or no. Other words that start closed questions might be may, will, have, should, could, would, shall, can, did, are. All of these questions, when we ask these questions, we're limiting what the response can possibly be. It'll either be a yes or a no. It's kind of a binary answer. And so for Bible study purposes, sometimes you'll use these questions, but most times you want to try and avoid these questions because they kind of lead you down a yes-no tree. What we're looking for is the Bible to speak to us and to tell us what the original meaning was. And so to do that, we use open questions. And open-ended questions will always start with one of seven words. Words like who, what, where, when, why, which, and how. If you start a question with any of these seven words, you will always end up with a question that is an open-ended question which means that you have no idea what the answer is going to be. For example, if you ask the question, what is your favorite color? The answer could be absolutely anything. But if I asked, is your favorite color blue? I will get yes or no. If I get no, I don't get any more information. And so an open-ended question will always lead to more information, which leads to deeper questioning. And so as we study the Bible in this observation stage, we will always be asking open-ended questions. Again, it's not wrong to ask a closed answer question. Sometimes they're good. They, they trigger other questions. But primarily, our Bible study tool for questioning will always start with who, what, where, when, why, which, and how. So we have our passage. We've found the extent of our passage. We've read it a number of times. We've started to ask open-ended questions of the passage. The next thing to start doing is look for key words. Look for words like and in the passage, or in the passage, if, therefore. These key words have great implication, and we'll explore some of this in the second half of the show. We also look for repeated words in our passage or repeated concepts and take note of those. We also look for threads like the sanctuary thread, the Sabbath thread, the salvation thread, the sanctification thread, the state of man thread, or stewardship or spirit of prophecy. All of these tools lead us to create a series of questions, and some of these questions are answered in the passage, but others will require digging, as you'll see in our example we'll do after the break. This is where our Bible dictionaries, our Strong's Concordance, or our Bible commentaries will all come in helpful. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to put all of these tools that we've just talked about into practice as we look at how to study the Bible. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's e-guide. I'll be right back after this. Make sure you have your Bible with you on The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Say 
Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 26 of the Faith Experiment, which I'm calling How to Study the Bible. And coming up is today's code word for today's e guide on this topic of how to study the Bible. So, before the break, I was sharing with you some of my tips on how to study the Bible. And we're looking at Ezra's second stage in this Bible study framework, the seeking step. This is where Ezra sought the law of the Lord. And we understand that the law is nothing more than a transcript of God's character. So we're actually in this second stage of the Bible framework, attempting to understand the character of God. And so we call this stage in Bible study terms as the observation stage. Before the break, I gave you four simple steps in this observation stage. The first step was to select a passage. The second step was to find the context of the passage. Where does the thought start and where does the thought end? And then the third step is to read the whole context five to seven times. This will help us in our comprehension of the passage. And then number four is where we question the passage, specifically open-ended questions. And these questions will always start with things like who, what, where, when, why, which, and how. So now we're going to put all of this into practice. If you have your Bible there, I'd invite you to go grab it as we do this exercise together of studying the Bible in this observation stage. Now, to help give some structure to this stage, I've developed a simple worksheet. It's nothing fancy. You can create one there at home, but there will be one in today's e-guide, so stick around to get the code word for that. But the worksheet is essentially a landscape piece of paper that has four columns. The first column is titled the verse. The second column is titled questions. The third column is titled more study. And the fourth column is titled keywords. This is my study guide worksheet that I use as I go through a passage of the Bible. So for today's example, we're going to study the passage that comes from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible there, open up with me to Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, reading from the New King James Version, says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So let's assume that our passage for this exercise is Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3. That's our first step. We've got our passage. 
Our second step now is to find the extent of the passage's context. Now remember, I shared that many English Bible publishers don't include these paragraph markers. So for the sake of this exercise, I'm going to assume that you don't have paragraph markers in your edition of the Bible. So let's assume we're starting with Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. The very first word there is the word when. Now, obviously, if a sentence starts with when, then there's probably something that happened before it. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 29. The word there, the first word in the verse starts with the word for, for he taught them. Now, obviously, you don't start your thought with the word for. So let's go back to the previous verse. Again, we're looking to establish where the start of our context is to this passage. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 7 starts with the word, and so it was. Obviously, that's not the start point either, so we go up another one. Verse 27, and the rain descended. We're again in the middle of a thought. Verse 26, but everyone who hears. Again, still in the middle of a thought. Verse 25, and the rain descended. Still in the middle of a thought. Verse 24, therefore, whoever hears. So we've already established for our passage today, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, the starting point of this context is way back in chapter 7. In fact, if you went through the whole exercise of looking at chapter 7's every single verse, you would find that you would end up all the way back to chapter 6, and chapter 6 would take you all the way back to chapter 5. And the entire context of our verse in chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, the context of that actually begins back in chapter 5, verse 1. Because the backdrop to our passage, or the context to our passage, is Jesus going up into a mountain to teach. And this is where we get the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the backstory to our passage. So if our passage was verse 1, 2, and 3, we'd notice that if we looked at the very next verse in verse 4, it starts with, And Jesus said to him, which clearly implies that our passage doesn't end in verse 3. So it would have to include verse 4. If we look then at verse 5, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum. So clearly there's been a shift now. There's a, a different story, a different context. So it would be safe to say that our passage of verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 would end in verse 4, but the original beginning of this story goes back to chapter 5. So now that we've got our passage, our first step, our second step is our context. We know the extent of our passage. The third step now is to read the passage five to seven times. Now, I'm not going to do that right now, but I would encourage you to do that at home and do that with whatever passages you want to pick up as an exercise going forward. And so now our fourth step is to ask questions of our passages. So how do we actually do this? How do we create questions, meaningful questions, that give us a wealth of information to extract the meaning of the text? Well, it's really, really simple, but I find that there's something in our education that sort of is a hindrance to this process. Let me explain it this way. From the earliest ages in school, we've all been taught to solve problems. Think of it in a mathematical sense. How many of you remember getting sheets and sheets of paper with lines of problems like 25 plus 25 equals blank or 10 plus 5 equals Blank, And it was our job as students to figure out summing up these two numbers and giving the teacher the right answer. Now, there was always only ever one answer. 25 plus 25 is always only ever answered by 50. And this is how we've been trained to think. We see a problem, we find the answer. Now, this works very well for mathematics, but what if I was to switch up the problem? What if I didn't give you the problem? but I gave you the answer, and you have to come up with the problem. For example, what if I told you the answer to the problem is 50, and you had to give me two numbers when added together equaled 50? How many combinations of that problem could there be if the answer was always 50? Well, it could be infinite, right? You could have 0 plus 50 equals 50. You could have 1 plus 49 equals 50. You could have any combination of numbers to add up to equal 50. But if I gave you 25 plus 25 equals blank, you can only ever arrive at 50. And so this exercise of asking questions from the Bible is basically thinking of it as the Bible has the answer, we have to come up with the problem or the question. So how does this practically work? 
If you look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1, you'll notice that there are a number of words. For example, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. What I do to ask these questions is I systematically go through each of the words in the passage and I treat those words as the number 50. That's my answer. My job is to come up with a question. What is a question that that word answers? And by doing this, this is helping my comprehension of the passage. Let me give you an illustration. In verse 1, the second word in the passage is the word he. So if he is my answer, what are the questions using my seven words, who, what, where, when, why, which, and how, what questions are answered by this word he? For example, I could say this, who was on the mountain? The answer is he. Who was with the multitude? The answer is he. But then I can ask questions like this, where it's not directly answered. I could ask this question, who is he? In this particular passage, it doesn't answer the question of who is he. We could ask, why is he on the mountain? Again, the word he doesn't answer that, but it generates a question. When did he arrive on the mountain? Again, this word he doesn't answer that. So what we're looking for is questions that these words answer. And you can do this for each and every word in the passage. Let's try another one. The word down. When he had come down. If we use the word down as our answer, we could ask these sorts of questions. What did he do? Well, the answer is he came down. What direction did he go? The answer is down. What direction did the multitude go? Well, they followed him, so they went down too. Then there are other questions we could ask which aren't directly answered by this word, but they trigger these questions. For example, when did he come up? If he's going to go down, when did he come up? Now, the word down doesn't answer that, but it triggers these questions. Another question could be, why is he up on the mountain? Again, down doesn't answer it, but it triggers the question. Why did he come down from the mountain? Again, this isn't answered by the word down, but it's a good question to note down in our worksheet. So each one of these questions that I come up with as I go through these passages, I note them down on that worksheet in the question column. So in my verse column, I'll have verse 1. In my question column, I'll have all these questions that I've been sharing with you. Let's do another example from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Let's pick the word mountain. Here's some questions. What did he come down from? A mountain. Where was he before he came down? A mountain. Where did the multitude follow him from? A mountain. And here are a couple of examples of questions you can generate based on this word mountain, but aren't directly answered by the mountain, but are good questions to follow up on. Things like, well, which mountain is he on? When did he go up on the mountain? Why did he go up onto this mountain? Let's pick the next word, the word great as a key word. We could have questions like this. What was the size of the multitude? It's great. Who followed him? A great multitude. Why was there a great multitude there? Well, we don't know in the passage, but it's a good question. Where did the great multitude come from? Again, not in the passage, but a great question. If we pick the word multitudes now, we can ask questions like, who was with him on the mountain? Multitudes. Who followed him off the mountain? Multitudes. And we could ask, who are the multitudes? We don't know. Why did the multitudes follow him? We don't know. Where did the multitudes come from? We don't know. And who are the people in these multitudes? Again, we don't know from this particular passage. But these are all questions that we're generating by asking these simple questions of each of these key words. If we pick the next word, followed, we could ask, what did the multitude do? They followed. How did the multitude respond? They followed. What was the characteristics of the multitude? They followed. And we could also ask this, why did the multitude follow him? Now, the word follow doesn't answer the question, but it gives us that next probing thought. And if we pick the last word in the verse, him, who did the multitude follow? Him. Who was the multitude on the mountain with? Him. Who came down from the mountain? Him. And here are some other questions which him doesn't answer. Why is him there? Who is him? Why are they following him? And so that's just a quick way to show how you can generate a whole bunch of questions from one simple passage. Now, on my worksheet, I would have, again, in the verse column, Matthew 8, verse 1, and the questions, I'd have all those questions I came up with that the passage answers, 
who was on the mountain, who was with the multitude. What did he do? What direction did he go? What direction did the multitude go? What was the size of the multitude? Who followed him? Who was with him on the mountain? Who followed him off the mountain? What did the multitude do? And so on and so on. And then in my more study column are all those questions that didn't have a direct answer in the passage, but are good questions like, who is he in verse 1? Why is he on the mountain in verse 1? When did he arrive on the mountain in verse 1? Which mountain is he on? When did he go up? Why was there a great multitude with him? Where did the great multitude come from? These are all the questions which we don't have answered in that passage, but we want to know more. And so the next step is to look at the key words in the passage. And I put those in that last column. Key words are things like, when you look at this verse, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. What are the standout words here? What are the key words? Well, I would say one of the words is he, because we don't know who he is in this verse, but he is the key character in the verse. Then the next one is the mountain. Why is he on the mountain? Which mountain is it? Where is this mountain? This could be a key word as well. Then there's the word great. This great multitude has been attracted to him for some reason. What could it be? This could be a key to understanding the passage. And the last one there would be the word followed him. Why are they following him? What makes them want to follow him? This could be a key concept or key word as well. So at the end of this exercise, I now have a worksheet that has my verse, has the questions that the passage answers, and more study questions which the passage doesn't answer, and then my key words out of that passage. And now I'll repeat that process for each of my verses in the entire passage. So if my passage was five verses, I would have five of these sheets. If it was three verses, I'd have three of these sheets. And so through this observation stage, I'm doing nothing more than asking the text questions and recording its responses. And where I have these questions that have no direct answer, I start to dig outside of the context. I'll look at my Bible commentaries, my Bible dictionaries, my Strong's concordances. But just about always, there is information to be found that can answer most of the questions that we can raise. Once I've collected all of this information, I've got my answers to my questions that I've asked of the passage. I've got answers to any of the questions that have answers in my more to study column. And I've grasped the reason for the key words in the passage. Once I have got all that information, that's when I'm ready to move to the next stage, which is to understand what the meaning of the passage is. So you'll notice there's a clear distinction. I want to focus this first part purely on letting the text talk to me. This is exegesis. Exegesis is allowing the text to have the meaning come out, to draw that meaning out. I'm not putting myself into this passage at all. I'm not trying to jump to an interpretation. I'm simply allowing the passage to speak. And that's the first step in studying the Bible. Well, I hope this little exercise on Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 has at least helped you see how to put some of these principles into practice. Asking questions, it's not that hard. Pick one of the words, that's your keyword. Create questions that that word answers. If you get questions that that word doesn't answer, put it down in your more study column. And at the end of this process, you have a wider, deeper, broader understanding of this passage. So I'd encourage you in the next week to continue this exercise with verse 2 and verse 3 of the passage. Do nothing more than take the worksheet that you'll get from the e-guide today and go through the exercise of asking the questions, writing down the more questions, looking for key words. And next time, we're going to take the information that we've gained from this observation stage and look at how that becomes the foundation for our interpretation and understanding the original message the author was trying to communicate. Now, I mentioned top of the show that I have this great little e-guide that I've put together for this topic, and it's really going to help you put this particular topic into practice. It'll also include some of these worksheets that I've been referring to. If you'd like to get a free copy, all you need to do is text the code word for today's episode. That's hash FE26. Text hash FE26 to 04 and the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply, asking you for some details, and then send you the link to today's e-guide. So text the code word HASH FE26. 
That's the hash or pound symbol followed by FE as in faith experiment and the number 26 as in episode 26 with no spaces, just hash FE 26 to 04 553 Now, next time on The Faith Experiment, we're going to continue looking at the studying of the Bible. We're going to take our observation questions and we're going to translate that into an interpretation. And don't forget, between now and then, try it out for yourself. Look at verse 2 and verse 3 of Matthew chapter 8. And don't forget to give me your feedback. I really do appreciate it. You can text your comments and questions on 0488 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 4538 or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. 